The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Hey, good morning, church. Uh, the scripture today will be Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. If you're using the Bible in front of you, you can find it on page 757. It actually doesn't have the page number at the top, so if you get 758, go back one. (laughs) And once you have that uh, copy of Scripture opened up, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, please. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You may be seated. As I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, this is Brady Reader. Most of you know Brady. Um, Jonathan is in London right now, so poor, poor Jonathan. Uh, no, seriously, he's in London, like not London, Illinois, or London, Kentucky, or London, uh, someplace in America. He's in London, London. He and Charles are on a uh, vision trip, uh, just seeing uh, what mission opportunities might be there. So uh, Brady has agreed to preach this morning. Um, would you all welcome Brady with a resounding hi, Brady. Thank you, Brian. Good morning, Delta. It's good to see all of you this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, welcome. We are thrilled to have you join us here this morning. We are continuing our way. This is our second week in our series on Advent, and the theme before us this morning is love. Now, if you were paying attention to the scripture that was just read, you may be asking, or you may have noticed the word love is not mentioned in the text that we just read from Matthew 1. So maybe you're asking why this text and why the theme of love. If you're asking that, thank you for asking that, and thank you for paying attention, all right? But I think the answer to that question can be found when we consider how other passages in the New Testament describe the arrival of Jesus Christ. For instance, probably the most well-known verse containing the word love, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. So the sending, the giving of Jesus Christ was a result of God's love. Some other verses that we could look at, 1 John 4, I think they're going to be behind me there that you can follow along. 1 John 4, 
9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So John tells us that God's love, it was made manifest. His love was made evident. It was made certain by the sending of the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's because of texts like these, there's many others that we could look at as well, that I think we gain a deeper understanding of the birth narratives of Jesus Christ. Because again, the Bible directly connects the sending of Jesus Christ with the reality of God's love for his people. So I think when Christians, when we read the birth narratives, when we think about the advent of Jesus Christ, I think in our mind's eye, one of the banner that wa- one of the banners that waves over a text like Matthew 1, is the banner of love. The banner of love. So this leads us to our main point for this morning. If you're a note taker, the sending of Jesus Christ displays the measure of God's love for his people. The sending of Jesus Christ displays the measure of God's love for his people. Let's pause for a few minutes and pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for gathering us together. We, we beg for your help during this time. This is the word that you inspired. We need your help to understand it. We need your help to apply it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use my imperfect efforts to explain this word. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. And would you change us because of the love that was displayed in the sending of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may have noticed uh, when we just read that passage in 1 John that one of the miraculous aspects of God's love for us is that it was initiated by him. Jesus did not come because we just loved God so much and we just needed a little extra help. And so God, as a result of our love for him, he responded with love of his own by sending his son, Jesus. That is not what the text says. Rather, I think First John would argue that we are incapable of loving God on our own, and the only way that we could begin to love rightly is when we have first been changed by the love of God. So think with me for a minute. What's the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself two greatest commandments. The problem is none of us are very good at that, are we? None of us are. You will remember from last week when we looked at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, he covered the human lineage of Jesus and in just a a few short verses he zooms over 
nearly 2,000 years of messy human history. Several of the people in that list, they did great things for God. Several people in the list did great wicked things for God. Or not for God, they just did great wicked things. But none of them loved God and loved neighbor perfectly. Every single one of them fell short. Since sin entered the world in Genesis 3, every human has been unable to keep the two greatest commandments. So what hope is there for sinful humanity to ever have a chance of being reconciled again with a holy, perfect, and righteous God? For that to happen, the cycle must be broken. Something must change. And it was broken by the perfect, sinless Son of God that was sent. He did perfectly fulfill the two greatest commandments. God's love for His people shattered the hopeless position that they found themselves in because of sin. Now, I want you to look with me back up just a few verses to the end of our text from last week. And you're going to notice a clear pattern, right, in the genealogy here of Matthew listing who fathered who. But notice there in verse 16, and Jacob the father, there it is, of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. You'll notice the break in the pattern. There is no Joseph the father of Jesus. The pattern, the cycle has been broken. Something drastic has happened. Jesus was not just merely another human son in a long line of human sons. This brings us to our first point. Jesus is the divine son born of a virgin. Jesus is the divine son born of a virgin. Matthew tells us there in verse 18, tells us that Mary, the mother of Jesus, he was betrothed to a man, she was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Seems pretty normal, right? Two people betrothed, waiting to be married. Now betrothed, that's not a word that's common in our culture, but betrothal in Bible times is kind of similar to what we would call engagement, but betrothal was even more serious than our form of engagement because to be betrothed to someone meant you were legally bound to marry them. To be betrothed to someone was making an unbreakable pledge. So betrothal really was equivalent to marriage in Bible times, but the difference being during this time, the wife would stay with her family. They were both to remain sexually pure until they were officially married. But the problem was, during this betrothal period, Mary becomes pregnant. Now, the readers, like us, 
we're given the crucial piece of information right away that Mary's pregnancy is not a result of immorality. It's not a result of unfaithfulness. Rather, this pregnancy is the result of a divine, supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. But Joseph does not know this right away. He does not have this piece of information right away. And Matthew gives us a glimpse of how Joseph wrestles through this news. And one of the first things Matthew tells us is that Joseph was a just man. He believed in God. He sought to live according to God's law. Now, I want, I want you to think about things from his perspective for a minute. The only logical explanation for Mary being pregnant is that she had been unfaithful. From the human perspective, that's the only logical explanation. And according to Jewish law, this kind of unfaithfulness should have resulted in death. But we instead see mercy from Joseph. He was unwilling to publicly shame Mary. And so he resolved, he was determined, the text says, to divorce her quietly. There doesn't appear to be any rash, wrath-filled decision on his part. Rather, I think we see a merciful, gracious, carefully thought-out response from Joseph. I mean, just pause and consider the difficult situation both of them found themselves in. Right? I mean, consider Mary. She's not in an easy position herself. Like, who in the right mind is going to believe that the baby in your belly was not the result of human intercourse? Who's going to believe her? And yet that's the position she finds herself in. But while Joseph is considering these things, God intervenes just at the right time, just as he always does, and he sends an angel to Joseph in a dream. And notice what the angel calls him, Joseph, son of David. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that Joseph was probably not used to hearing that title after his name. But as one commentator put it, for Jesus to be a son of David in Jewish categories, legally speaking, his father also had to be a son of David, which he was. So the title that the angel mentions is a crucial piece of information for the rest of the message that Joseph is getting ready to hear from the angel. And it's a message I would, I have to think that for Joseph must have brought such incredible relief and utter shock all at the same time. Because he finds out his beloved Mary has not been unfaithful to him. And he has no need to fear taking her as his wife. Mary has not visited another man in immorality. Rather, she has been visited by the Holy Spirit. God has done what only God can do and has caused a virgin to conceive. Verse 20, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to be careful here to understand some things rightly 
And one of those things is the conception of Jesus was not the beginning of Jesus. We have to understand this. How do we know? Well, there's multiple places in the Bible that we could go to, but let's look at just a few of them. John 1, in the beginning, meaning before anything was created, in the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh. John 3, 16 again, for God so loved the world that He gave his only son. Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. The point being, the miraculous conception was not the beginning of Jesus. He is eternally existent. Jesus was given. He was sent by God the Father from heaven to earth. The eternally existent Son of God, second person of the Trinity, humbled himself to the point of robing himself in human flesh and growing in the womb of a virgin teenage girl. Friends, this perhaps is the miracle of all miracles. This is also why I think the doctrine of the incarnation and the doctrine of the virgin birth are absolutely crucial to our Christian faith. You notice Matthew underscores just in three verses twice conception by the Holy Spirit. And I think he's underscoring the significance of this. We must understand this because the, the accomplishment of redemption rests on the fact that Jesus was God in the flesh and that he was born of a virgin. Now, can we fully explain this or understand it? No, we cannot. But the virgin birth is the only way Jesus could be God in the flesh. Follow me here on this. Yes, he was human, but he was not merely a human. Yes, he was born of a woman, but he was not conceived by a man. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Additionally, this is how he could be born of a woman and yet sinless at the same time. He was not conceived by a man who would simply pass along his fallen sinful nature. Yes, he received a physical body from the womb of a woman, but he had a divine, sinless nature. So the angel tells Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. He tells her that she will bear a male, a son, and Joseph is to name him Jesus. Now you'll notice the name Jesus is explicitly connected to what he is coming to do. What does the angel say? You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. This brings us to our second point. Jesus is the divine Savior of his people. Jesus is the divine Savior of his people. So the name Jesus that the angel gives to Joseph, it's not just some random name that God the Father in heaven one day was like, you know what, Jesus sounds pretty good for my son. That's what I'm going to name him. 
Rather, the name Jesus carries with it meaning and the purpose of his coming. The name Jesus as we know it comes from the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves or the Lord saves. And many scholars say the name Jesus was actually quite popular in those times. But the angel makes it clear to Joseph that the baby that will bear this name is far different than all other babies who were named Jesus. Because this baby, soon to be delivered by Mary, would not be named Jesus as a way of just remembering or honoring the fact that the Lord saves. This baby is named Jesus because he is the Lord who will save. Many babies carried the name, but only one baby carried with it the power and the ability to live out that name, to fulfill the meaning of the name, which is why I think the angel is able to say, he will save his people. The salvation of God's people is guaranteed by Jesus Christ. And again, we're back to the importance of the doctrine of the incarnation because Jesus was fully man. It means he could genuinely be our substitute, our representative. He lived the life as a human that we as sinful humans could not live. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to God the Father. And because he was fully man, he could suffer the punishment for human sin. He could be our genuine substitute, fully absorbing the wrath of God due us and dying the death that we deserved to die. Yet, because he was fully God... This ensured that God's own standard of perfection could be met. Because Jesus was fully God, his obedience, his suffering, his sacrifice would be perfect without blemish. You see, no mere human could ever live life without sin. And no one but God could ever meet his own standard of perfection. So what hope do we have? Enter the God-man, Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can save his people from their sin. Matthew goes on in verse 22, tells us this was not some last-minute plan that God had to think up. Rather, the sending of the Savior was the fulfillment of a promise from long ago. Matthew reminds his readers of the prophecy of Isaiah some 800 years earlier. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The baby boy in Mary's womb was not a result of of unfaithfulness to her promise to Joseph. The baby boy in Mary's room was the result of God being faithful to his promise that he made centuries ago. Now you'll notice 
Isaiah says they shall call his name Emmanuel. So it's, it's not like the angel forgot about this and he said Jesus and he should have said Emmanuel, right? We know the Bible uses many different names for God and they're all throughout the Bible and they, the different names describe the different aspects of who he is. So Matthew tells his reader the name that Isaiah used, Emmanuel, means God with us. Mary's child is named Jesus because he is Yahweh who saves. Likewise, he is Emmanuel because in order to save us, he takes on flesh to be with us. God the Son leaving heaven coming to earth, taking on human flesh to save his people from their sins. Friends, he came to us. When we had strayed from him, he entered our world. He drew near to us to save us from the very thing that separated us from him. That was the thing that drew him to us to provide salvation for us. Friends, this is love. We celebrate the love of God at Christmas not just because Jesus was born. We celebrate God's love at Christmas because Jesus was born so that we could be saved from our sins. He entered our world perfectly accomplished all that was needed for us to be brought near to God. We celebrate God's love at Christmas because he was laid in a cradle, he was hung upon the cross, he was buried in a grave, and he was raised in power and glory so you and I could become his people. Amen? Matthew goes on, he briefly draws our attention back to Joseph. He wakes from his sleep, and as the just man that he is, he obeys the word of the Lord right away through the angel, takes Mary as his wife, and notice again, Matthew highlights the fact that there is no chance of human conception of Jesus because Joseph and Mary did not consummate their marriage until after the birth of Jesus. The sending of Jesus Christ is the measure of God's love for his people. So as we turn to our time of response this morning, I want you to notice something in back in verse 21. He will save his people, his people, from their sins. Friends, the salvation that Jesus accomplished is not just immediately applied to every human being on the face of the earth. We must understand this. All people are not saved from their sins. 
All people are not saved from their sins. His people are saved from their sins. Well, hopefully you're asking the question, well, who, is, who are his people? Well, John, in the first chapter of his gospel, answers that question for us. Verse 12, John 1.12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Did you hear that? To all who did receive him. Friends, listen, this is so crucial to understand. The invitation for salvation is extended to all. The application of salvation. The application of salvation is for those who come to him in faith and repentance. Who receive him, who believe in his name. So during our time of response this morning, for some of you here, maybe this needs to be your response. Maybe the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to the first time for the rich love, the measure of God's love for sinful humanity that he demonstrated in sending his son. And if that's you this morning, his call to you is to repent of your sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation. If that's you this morning, that's what I encourage you to do during this time of response. For those of you who have trusted in Christ, for those of you, for those of us who have been changed by the love of Christ, I want to ask you this question. Jesus entered this world so that you could be saved. Whose world is God calling you into this season? Jesus entered this world so you and I could be saved. Would you take time to seek the Holy Spirit to ask, whose world are you leading me into? Could be a simple text message asking how you can pray for a person. Could be a phone call. Could be an invitation to lunch, dinner, sharing the gospel with them. It could be seeking to meet a physical need. Whose world can you enter this Christmas season to display the sacrificial love of Christ that he has shown to you? Let's pray. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that you would give your only Son to make a wretch your treasure. That is what we are reminded of, Father, when we come to the Christmas story yet again. Something that unfortunately, I think, has become so familiar to us. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you would impress this amazing supernatural love on our hearts and minds in a fresh way this Christmas season. God, I pray that you are doing the work that only you can do even now in the hearts that are present here in this room. I pray that you would grant repentance. I pray that you would cause blinded eyes to see. That you would cause deaf ears to hear. I pray even now, God, that you are calling people out of darkness and into the life-transforming light and grace of your Son. Jesus, thank you for living the life we couldn't live, dying the death that we deserve to die, and conquering the enemy that we could not conquer when you rose from the grave. Truly, all praise and glory belongs to you. We praise your name. And it's in your precious name that we pray these things. Amen.